This should help. Yeah, rookie move. Rookie move. It's good to see you all this morning. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving week. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Why don't you go ahead and, go ahead and uh, turn to your neighbor. Tell them what you're thankful for this morning. And uh, maybe one of the things that you can be thankful for this morning is a picture that's about to come up uh, possibly on the screen of me 10 years ago. And yeah, that's the only one that I could find. Could you believe it? And uh, so if you're ever wondering, to hit, Pastor Tommy, when you say you were a nerd, like, is that true? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It is true. It's absolutely true. And uh, man, a lot has changed in, in, in my life since, since that moment. Uh, I, I got married, so that's an encouragement to any guy who wants to get married. If that guy can get married, anyone can get married. Uh, I've had two children, and my life has completely changed. In fact, I want to tell you, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, right after really this picture was taken, I left that job and came to work here at Harvest. This was 10 years ago. I was working in Wisconsin at the time. And I started coming right here to our Elgin campus on Sundays. And I drove down on Wednesdays uh, to come to the youth ministry. And then I went up to Camp Harvest to be a camp counselor. And on my way back from that trip, uh, Pastor Jason Akers called me and he goes, listen, man, what are you doing working at that job? You need to be in ministry. And I'm like, that was a very kind thing of him to say. And I had felt the call into to ministry, but I had no idea like how to make that happen. So at the end of the call, he offered me a part-time job here at the church to get my foot in the door uh, for ministry. And so now I had some decisions to make, leaving my family and leaving my job to come down. And, and, and so I prayed. I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, if, if I can just survive, <laughs> so I could just have a place to live, if I could just have things to eat and survive, I'll do it. And later that week, I was talking to uh, the children's pastor here at the time, who was Will Hacker, which you've, if you've watched any amount of Harvest Kids curriculum, you know who that is. And uh, he talked to, he, we were talking on the phone, and he goes, Tommy, listen, I've got a, a spare room off of my kitchen, and why don't you come and live with us until you can get on your feet here? And so with the problem of my survival solved, I did. I quit my job, and I moved down here. And I lived with Will, Wack, Will Hacker and his family. And let me just tell you, it was unlike anything that I've ever experienced before in my life. Being, well, in a lot of ways, but being invited into their home. And, and really not just being invited into their home, but being invited into their lives and into their family. Them treating me like family. Doing things together and growing spiritually together. It was remarkable. It was amazing, it was unique. And it was not only them, it was other members of our church and our community checking in and making sure that, that I was supported and that I was doing okay, it was, it was unique. And I remember talking to a couple people in our church and telling them about this and telling them what had happened and they go, oh yeah, that's pretty normal. And I go, not to me, not to me, that's not normal to me. Like, I, I'm not used to this type of community. This type of community was, and I grew, I grew up in church my whole life, but this type of community that I encountered here was unlike any I'd ever encountered before. And it impacted me greatly. It really formed me into the man that I am today, and it, it drove me deeper into community here at our church because of how unlike anything else it was. It was unique. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today is the unique community of God. We're gonna be in Acts chapter four, we're gonna be right at the end, verse 32 through 37. And as we read through this, you're gonna notice 
some similarities with a passage that was preached a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. And it was actually a two-week uh, preach uh, by Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff Bucknam and Jeff Thompson. And it was 10 marks of a healthy church. Now, I don't have 10 more things to share with you today, but I do have three that I want us to focus in on that's gonna show us what makes this church so unique. Now, I do think it's important to understand what Luke is doing as he is writing this paragraph of scripture. This is really a transitional paragraph. He's closing the narrative of the previous account and he's building up a backdrop for the next account. He's building a backdrop. And I think that we can kind of sometimes look at these transitional paragraphs as kind of like flyover scriptures, kind of like the flyover states, right? We look at them like flyover scriptures and we just, we read through it and we go, oh, that was nice. God bless them. And then we keep going. But we're not gonna do that this morning. What we're gonna do is we're going to stop and we're gonna ask this question and answer this question. What makes this community so unique? Let's read verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So the first thing that we're gonna see is a deep, Commitment, a depth of commitment. It says, now the full number of those who believed, Luke is talking about the church here, the whole church, everyone who placed their faith in Jesus, everyone who believed, all of it, the full number of the church, and it says they were of one heart and soul, which means that they were deeply committed to God and his purposes, and they were deeply committed to each other, totally unified, together in friendship and in purpose, and this was more than just a, a physical unity of being together and in the same place and, and being together, working together. This was a spiritual unity. It was more than physical unity. It was spiritual unity. They knew that Jesus was alive. They believed in the power of the Holy Spirit and they knew that God was sovereign. They would be what we would say today. They were on fire. They were on fire and this was new and it was incredible and wonderful and they were making such great progress in the culture and in the world. And even when they faced external opposition, remember a couple of weeks back, the religious leaders, it didn't break their unity. It didn't break it. In fact, what it did is it only stoked the, the, the flame even hotter. What those religious leaders thought they were doing by giving them opposition is they thought they were taking water and they were snuffing out the flame. That opposition wasn't water at all. It was lighter fluid. It was accelerant. After the opposition, the flame of the church was burning even brighter. It was burning. They were unified. And that led to some pretty unique things and unique actions among them. Look at the last part of that verse. It says, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They were sharing their resources freely with one another. They saw possessions as not things that belonged to them. They, they weren't things that would benefit them, but instead they were given away freely at will to those in need. It says that they had everything in common, which means that they weren't selfish, means that they weren't possessive. They gave their resources freely. And we look at that, we look at this, and we say, wow, that's awesome. That's pretty unique. Like even in our culture, 2,000 years later, that's some radical living, isn't it, church? 
some radical living. But it was unique here as well. In the ancient day, it was unique. Which might be a commentary about how secular culture never actually really changes, but we're not gonna get into that. This was unique in the ancient world. And I wanna give you a word, a word that was given to me by Dr. V. Thank you, Dr. V. Called benefaction. And this was a big practice in Greco-Roman society. And it was even in the Jew, Jewish culture to some degree as well. And it was this idea that these benefactors, or sometimes they were called patrons, they would care for the lower class, people who had less resources or less station than them, by giving them resources, or sometimes it was favors, or sometimes it was funding a building project that would benefit them in some way. And now that, that sounds pretty great, right? Sounds great. Everyone say great. Benefaction is not bad. I don't want you to hear that in, in what we're talking about right now. It's not bad, it's great. And it even almost sounds similar to what the early church was doing, except for one important thing. There's one difference. Is that typically, they would expect something in return. Benefactors and patrons would. Most commonly, the person who was benefiting would work for the benefactor or the patron in some way. Rulers would use benefaction as a means to raise support and rally support for their rulership. Benefactors would also receive titles. They would receive station for being a benefactor. It was a great honor to be a benefactor. And in fact, in the, in the, in the synagogue, benefactors were typically called the synagogue leaders. They would receive that title. And so they were giving and they were helping the needy, and that is great, it's amazing. We're not slinging mud at that. But it was almost always with the expectation of receiving something in return, whether it be titles or workers or support or something else. Now that doesn't sound too far off from our society, does it? That's not too far off from our society. We have wealthy people in our culture who give a lot to charity, for example, which is awesome. And it helps a lot of people. But then some of them publish it across the world and they say, look, Look at how much we gave. Look at how much we did. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? Aren't we awesome? Buy our products, right? Some do it for the tax benefits. Some do it just to feel good about themselves. Some want their names on buildings or on plaques. And it's not just wealthy people or corporations that do this. Anyone can do this. You've seen it. I've seen it. We've all seen it. If you've been on social media, you have seen this. People helping other people. They're saying, look, look at look what I've done. Look what I'm doing. Isn't this great? Aren't I great? I, I saw this video last night um, of a person who literally uh, was like, I'm gonna, he's like made a whole film about this on, on Instagram. And there's like really dramatic music, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the piano's going, and you're like, whoa, what is he gonna do? And he's like, guys, listen. Whew, I just bought this guy a coffee at Starbucks. Praise God for this guy, okay? That's a really kind act. But like, what's going on here, right? And we, we kind of put this out to the world for social credit sometimes. Anyone can, can do this. And uh, we're not saying anything bad about them. It's really great. And only really God knows the heart of those who are doing this. But there's something always almost expected in return in our society. There's no free lunch, that's the phrase, right? There's no free lunch. And the reason that I say that, listen, did you know that our, heart, our, our, our minds are, are hardwired to, to pay attention to the not normal, the 
the unique. Our, our minds, biologically, it's how God made us. We're actually inclined to ignore normalcy, the normal things that happen in your day. We're, we're inclined, our brains are inclined to not pay attention to those things, almost to ignore them because they're normal and they happen all the time. But our minds are focused and pay attention to things that contrast normalcy or are unique. Let me give you an example. Maybe last uh, yesterday, your Saturday. What's your typical Saturday with your family? Probably you in the house, hanging out with each other, having a great Saturday, maybe watching some TV, maybe sit down for dinner, and you have dinner with the whole family, there's no interruptions, there's nothing going on, you're just being with your family. Then after dinner, you sit down, you watch some TV, and then the doorbell rings. And what happens? Everyone's like, whoa, okay, hold on, everyone. Turn down the TV, turn down the lights. Hold on, listen, everyone's peeking out of the, you know, who's here? Who's here right now? Who is at our door? It breaks the normalcy. It's unique. And everyone in the house is now paying attention to the unique thing that has happened, aren't they? Every single person is paying attention to what is unique. Our minds are drawn towards the unique, towards the contrast. And that's why I bring this up as a comparison. Because what it shows us is that what's happening here in the scripture is unique. It is unique to the society of the day and is unique to our society now and it should grab our attention. We need to pay attention to this. I mean, they didn't think that the things that belong to them belong to them. Isn't that wild? That is not normal. They knew deeply that the things that they had belonged to God and to each other. So they gave them away freely. They had a deep commitment, a depth of commitment to God and to each other. And they expected, here's the thing, nothing in return. There was no class system in the church. They weren't, you stay on your side, we'll stay on our side. They crossed all of those social and economic boundaries to care for each other. They had all things in common. Do you have that view? Do you have that deep commitment to God and to others so much so that you don't think that your stuff is your stuff? Do you give freely without expectation of anything in return? That's what makes this community so unique, their depth of commitment. But not only that, here's the second thing, the power of bold preaching. Look at verse 33 with me. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Hey, God, can you answer our prayer for boldness from last week? Yes. <laughs> yes. With great power, they were preaching the resurrected Christ. This is bold. Remember, the religious leaders, what they said, they said, don't talk about Jesus anymore or we're going to get you. Don't, don't mention Jesus, don't preach about Jesus anymore or we are going to do something to you and it's not gonna be good. You've seen our track record, it's, it's bad. You're gonna be in trouble. And then they went away and they prayed and the presence and power of God was with them and they continued to preach boldly the word of God. And specifically, this points out a couple of things. The preaching was with great power. See it? With great power. This means with great force. It's this sense of miraculous power given by the Holy Spirit. It was strong. 
They didn't let fear overtake them. They didn't compromise the message. They didn't water down the message to appease these religious leaders. They weren't like, all right, guys, listen, we'll keep going, but we just gotta stop talking about Jesus, okay? We just won't mention his name. They didn't do that. They didn't compromise at all. They didn't give in. They didn't worry about offending them. They preached powerfully and boldly the resurrected Christ. In modern Christianity, when faced with opposition, we tend, sometimes, some people do, we tend to try and make the message more palatable. Right, have you ever heard that? Watered down. Listen, let's soften, let's soften this, okay? Let's soften it so that this message, this gospel, Jesus, let's soften it a little bit so that it would be received better. Let's just water it down a little bit so that people will like it a little bit more. The problem is, is that when that happens and when people do that, the power is lost. It's like this, and some of you are gonna be really mad about me with this analogy, and um, I'm not sorry. All right. This is black coffee. Now, black coffee has a very distinct taste, doesn't it? It's bold. It's bold. It's strong, isn't it? Now, some people have acquired this taste for black coffee, and they're right. But others <laughs> have decided, this is too much for me. I'm gonna put something in it. Maybe a creamer, maybe a sugar, maybe a lot more than that, right? And they're wrong. <laughs> I told you, you might get mad at me. Not sorry. And so what do they do? It's too strong, it's too bold, I don't like it, I don't like the taste, it's too much, it offends me. So I'm going to take this wonderful seasonal pumpkin spice almond creamer and I'm going to start diluting the power of the coffee. And time over time as I add more and more of this creamer, the taste, that's too much. Some people are like, it's not enough. And they're really wrong. But like, <laughs> the power and the strength of the taste of coffee is now non-existent. It is so diluted that it barely even tastes like coffee. In fact, I would go as far to say that this is something entirely different. This is now pumpkin spice flavored milk, okay? That's not coffee anymore. That's something entirely different. And the thing is, is that when people do this, when they compromise and dilute the gospel, oh, they're not gonna like that. They're not gonna like that verse. That one's a little too strong. <laughs> they're not gonna like hearing that from scripture. Listen, I know this person, and they, they believe this. And if I tell them that, that this is what the Bible says, they're gonna, they're gonna lose it. I can't, I have to come up with some creative way to hop, skip, and jump around that, and we start adding creamer to the gospel. And what happens is, is that the strength and the power get diluted with it. In fact, it sometimes goes so far as to not even be the same thing anymore. You just have pumpkin. You don't even have the, the gospel any longer. It dilutes the power of the message. And the apostles refused to do this. With great power, they preached. And what specifically did they preach, church? What did they preach? the resurrection of Jesus. One of the boldest things that you could possibly preach. The resurrection. You wanna be a bold preacher? Preach the resurrection 
of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is powerful and it is unique. And it's powerful and unique because, one, it validates who Jesus said he was. He claimed to be God. And this confirms it. The resurrection confirms that, yes, in fact, he was God. He has control over life and death. He is God. He is who he said he was. It validates that Jesus will do what he said he will do. First thing, Jesus predicted all of this. Predicted that he was going to go onto the cross and he was going to be raised again. Got that right. It happened. Also, Jesus said in John 11 that he is the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. Showing that we will follow him in death, but we will also follow him in resurrected life as well. The hope of future glory with Christ through triumphant and glorious victory over death. It also validates that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. So we can have full assurance of forgiveness of sin because of the resurrection. That is powerful. So we have this great power in the verse, but we also have this great grace. It says great grace was upon them all. This is the favor of the Lord. It's the favor of the Lord upon them. Because they were unified in preaching the resurrected Christ, God's favor was on them. His blessing, as one person puts it, crowning their labors with success. And I think that this is really helpful for us because when we go out to witness, we can have this burden on us that, that, that says, it all depends on me. It all depends on on me, it's all up to me. I have to craft this message like so creatively and so well. I gotta wordsmith it so well that they will hear it and then they will, they will respond in faith. This is a real fear that keeps people from sharing the gospel. And we see here that they preached the truth and God had favor on it. So for us, let's just preach the truth and let's let God's favor do the rest. And because, and maybe you need to hear this today, God's favor is greater than my creative words ever could be. God's favor is greater than my creative words ever could be. So let's stop adding creamer to the gospel and preach the truth and let God's favor do the rest, amen? So we have this great grace and this great uh, power and enables the apostles and those with them to be ministers of grace, but something else as well that we see happening here is that they become gracious givers. Look at verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I find this so interesting. I find it so incredibly interesting because the apostles weren't preaching about money or resources, were they? They were preaching about the resurrection. And yet, it created this unique community in which possessions and wealth no longer held a grip on their hearts anymore. They were freely giving away their resources, even selling land and selling homes so that they could take care of the needy in their church. And listen, it worked. It says that there was not a needy person among them. This is unique. It's unique because money grips the hearts of people so profoundly. It's our most precious resource, isn't it? It provides us the life that we want to live. It gives us the stuff that we want to have. It gives us security 
It gives us meaning and importance. Money really is, to some people, money is God. And it doesn't matter how much of it you have. It doesn't matter how much or how little. This is mine. This is mine. And I earned it, and it's, it's gonna make my life better, and it is the source of my security, and it is the source of my joy. I wanna say having control over money is not a bad thing. But when it's like this, when money has control over you, it is a bad thing. And we see in this unique community this shift that is happening. Money doesn't control them anymore. God's grace does. They have such a clear view of the resurrected Christ because of the strong preaching that the temporary benefits of this world fade and their view of life eternal is, is clearly seen and that changes their hearts and it changes their actions. And so I, I wanna view money like this, this group, don't you? I wanna view my resources like this group. So, so what can we see? How can we view money and resources like them? But we see it in the text. First thing is it's all from God. It's all, it's all from God. They didn't believe that their stuff was their stuff. They believed that it all belonged to God. It's God's. It's all from God. It is God's. It's all from him. Every blessing that I've received, every ounce of wealth or resource is from God. It's from him. It's the whole parable of the talents, right? The master gives them resource to steward. But then he says, I'm coming back for it. That's mine. It's all from God. It's all God's. Not only that, we see it's used for God. It's used for God. Now this can play out in many different ways. Many different ways. But this specific group of people, they used their money for God's purposes, for his plans, and specifically we see for his people, caring for one another. It's used for God. And then this, they had eternal perspective, right? They had such a clear view of resurrection with Christ. Money's not going with me when I go. It's not coming with me. It's for me to steward here while I'm on earth, but it's not, it's not going into heaven with me. They had eternal perspective on their resource. This is unique. This is a unique community, isn't it, church? Here's the last thing that we see. An example lived out. Look at verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we're pretty zoomed out on the community as a whole, kind of looking at it broadly up to this point. But now what we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom in on, on one person who was the example of this type of living. We're, we're zooming in on a guy named Joseph, also called Barnabas. He was given a nickname by the apostles, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Which, um, like, listen, can we start giving each other nicknames? Can we do that? Like, not bad ones or mean ones, like, typically, but, like, good, nice ones, right? Like, Barnabas, son of encouragement. I would love a nickname like that. Can I just say that? Because the one y'all have for me, like, Tommy, the prop guy, you know, son of props. Like, I don't know, like, I, it's just not great, you know? 
I, I, I affectionately call uh, Pastor Britt, I nicknamed him the angel, <laughs> which I love and he hates. And so now when he's like, oh yeah, <laughs> you got a verse for that? I do, actually, it's right here. Nicknames in the Bible, <laughs> which is fun. So we zoom in on Barnabas, we zoom in on him, and we see that his, his heart and his soul were, were so impacted by God's grace and the resurrection of Christ that he sold a field and he brought the money to the apostles to distribute to those who had need. Notice it says that he sold a field and brought that money to the apostles. This isn't Christian socialism, okay? This isn't Christian socialism. He didn't sell everything that he had to contribute to the common fund for like, that some people try to make it out to be. It's not that he sold a field, okay? This is a testimony of a life that is changed by the gospel and it is put into action. This is what we would call here at our church a God at work story. You know, we, we've seen these on, on the weekends and the services. We've seen them on, online, on our social media. These, these are God at work stories and these are videos of regular people in our church who have been so impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ that it has changed and transformed their life forever. It has changed their hearts and it has changed the way that they act and that they live. It is so incredible and encouraging to see, isn't it, church? And that's what really we're seeing here in this passage is, is, is Barnabas' God at work story. This is God at work story. He was so impacted by the reality of the resurrected Christ and God's grace and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that it changed him and the way that he lives. He's no longer gripped by money, but he is gripped by deep, commitment to God and to his people. Luke, through writing about Barnabas, is actually really encouraging others to follow in his footsteps. He's encouraging those who have wealth to cross these social and economic boundaries and benefit those who are in need in the church. Really, Barnabas is upheld uh, throughout the New Testament as a model disciple, someone to look up to. He's a role model for the early church, and he should be a role model for us as well, because typically we have, um, well, let's be honest, sometimes we have pretty terrible role models, don't we? Our role models are typically celebrities or famous people or sports stars or people who have had success, massive success. We look up to them. And we look up to them because we wanna follow in their footsteps, because we wanna be like them. We want to have what they have. Now, I've talked to a lot of students over my time. I've talked to a lot of students. And um, I, obviously the, the, the conversation of role models comes up quite frequently. And can I just tell you um, that whose name I've never ever heard as someone's role model? Barnabas. It's like very rare to get uh, a person in, in from the Bible at all, but never Barnabas. I thought about that this week, why, why? It's because we don't actually want to follow in his footsteps. It's because we don't actually want to have the life that he has. We don't want this type of life. The life of success and fame and fortune sound better. Listen, Barnabas is a great role model for us in the church. And we actually see because of Barnabas's encouragement to others, because of his care for other people, because of his bold preaching, because of his selfless giving of himself and his stuff, to others, because of his loving shepherding to others, we see God do some pretty incredible things through Barnabas throughout the New Testament. For one, he vouches for Paul's conversion, and he gets 
helps get him accepted into the church. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Like, great job, Barnabas, because like Paul, that guy, like wrote half of the Bible. So like, that's a really good, that's a really good thing <laughs> that Barnabas did. Not only that, he was sent to the Gentile church in Antioch to, to be a leader in the church. He went off on missions trips with, with Paul to do great ministry. He was used mightily by God. God did incredible things through the life of Barnabas. There's so much that we can learn from him. His heart and his soul were completely yielded to God, deeply committed to God and to his people. Which goes to show that when we live a life like this, a life that's really transformed by the reality of Christ, a life not gripped by this present temporary reality, a life focused on resurrection life and eternity, a life that is selfless and generous in giving, God is going to use us in mighty ways. The unique move of God created unique people like Barnabas, which formed the unique community of God. The unique move of God created unique people like Barnabas, which formed the unique community of God. Listen, church, that unique move of God is still happening today. It's still happening And if we want to be this type of unique community that we see here in the book of Acts, we have to be this type of unique person, like Barnabas, deeply committed to God and his people, testifying about the resurrection of Christ and putting that into selfless action. Let's do this, church. As the young people say, let's go. Let's be these people. Let's be this unique community together. I have faith that we can be, and I hope that you do too. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for our time together in your word. Lord, thank you for the example of Barnabas. Thank you for the example of this unique community. Lord, we acknowledge that we have things that grip our hearts, money, being one of the big ones, resources, our stuff. God, I pray right now that you would give us a clear view of that, that you would give us a clear view of yourself. Would we understand and recognize that it's all yours, Lord? Everything is yours. Help us to be good stewards of it, God. Help us to preach boldly the resurrected Christ in our communities, not watering it down, worrying about offending people, Lord, help us. Help make us bold in our proclamation, in our testimony, and in our testifying of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be like Barnabas. Help us to take care of one another, expecting nothing in return. These are all difficult things, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, You can change and transform us as we see in the book of Acts. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.